Hello and welcome to another episode of Spark at the Match where we recap, break down and discuss all the latest from England's Premier League and if this is your first time listening, welcome, make sure you do give us a like and subscribe. Coming up on the show, Chris Wood breaking all sorts of records, the Super League fiasco and the fallout that followed and the countdown to the end of the season is on with just five rounds remaining. I'm Ralph Sindos, joining me household names in New Zealand football, Michael Burgess and Ricardo Bull. How are you both? Good, thanks. Excellent, thanks. Great to be here again. I know, and so exciting that we actually have a Kiwi to talk about who's doing great things. Chris Wood, uh, Bates' first ever Premier League hat-trick, and with it became Burnley's all-time leading Premier League goal scorer, taking his tally to 44 goals. Michael, I'll start with you. It's a thoroughly deserved achievement. It's incredible. Uh, I think the be- one of the best things out of all this, Narelle, is that He's actually finally getting the recognition he deserves. I think everyone in football in New Zealand understands what he's doing. But I I get a bit frustrated sometimes. I feel like a New Zealand general public and the wider sporting public don't quite get just what he's achieving, Um, which is no one's fault. It's just just the way it is. But the fact he's been all over over the news, all over TV, it's just wonderful because um, it's kind of like every goal he scores in the Premier League is a bit of a, a miracle for a kid from New Zealand to be do what he, do what he's doing. But the fact he's got 45 goals now is just absolutely staggering. That's more than any um, any German player in the history of the Premier League, more than any Russian, any Croatian, any Czech Republic player. It's just it's just amazing what he's doing. And the other exciting thing is he's still only 29, so he was such a late bloomer. He took a while to get there. But, you know, you wonder what he could do in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because there was some talk last summer that Tottenham were interested in Chris Wood to be their Harry Kane backup. Um, whether or not Chris would want to do that, I don't know. But you would imagine that Tottenham would probably pay you a fair whack more than Burnley would. So there's that to consider coming towards, you know, the, the the highest earning point of his career. So where's he going to go? Is he going to still be there next season? You know, I mean, for me, he looks like a player that could step up. And you look around at some of the uh, teams around in the Premier League that are maybe punching just above Burnley. Someone like a West Ham doesn't really have an out-and-out striker they can rely on because Michael Antonio is always getting injured. You know, there's there's a few clubs. I mean, I always thought he'd he'd he'd, he'd look well, uh, look good at Everton, but I think Dominic Calvert Lewin's probably put that one to bed. But you know, I, I reckon there's a good chance Chris Wood moves for some decent money to an even more high profile club in the summer. Yeah, because he's contracted well to Burnley until 2023. But yeah, actually, Ricardo Everton was a club that jumped out for me because they do say strikers are sort of in their prime around. 28, 29, and I just feel like he's almost outgrowing Burnley. I'm not sure if that's an unpopular opinion, and no disrespect to the club that's given him all these great opportunities, but I would like to see him move sooner rather than wait another two and a bit years, and who knows what form he's in there, and he could be injured and all those sorts of things. So I feel like if it's going to happen, it should happen now, but Michael, not so sure how easy it'll be for him to sort of wriggle out of Burnley or if they'll happily let him go for a, a huge chunk of um, money. It's a good talking point. I can see sort of a couple of factors here. One is that Chris is getting to the point where he's actually, he can actually sit down with Burley and say, hey, what are your plans? Who are you going to bring in next season? He's getting that sort of status, I would have thought, in the club. Um, and that would help make his decision. The other thing he'd is the number one man at Burnley. Um, you go to another club, it might feel good being at Everton or Spurs, but if you're number three and you're only playing occasionally and getting 20 minutes off the bench, 
it's not quite the same and your chances are limited. So he, he would weigh all that up. The third thing is Sean Dyche uh, just seems to get the absolute best out of him. He's been amazing for him. And Sean Dyche is always, is always rumoured linked with other clubs as well because uh, there's the same feeling as Ricardo brought up and, and you brought up Narelle about maybe Sean Dyche has outgrown Burnley. So if Dyche moves somewhere else to a Crystal Palace or a, a Southampton or a Newcastle, you could see Sean Dyche wanting to take Crystal with him. So it's just so exciting. I guess the wider point is that he'll probably have options on the table, whereas three, four years ago, he was absolutely four years ago begging for his chance to get a, a run in the Premier League. And now he's the kind of guy that clubs will be, will be chasing. Ricardo, do you think he should stay in England, though? I think it was last summer he was linked with a move to Lazio. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like English football was definitely the place that probably suits his game the best. Yeah, I think so. I think he's got that big, that uh, the big presence, the physical presence, um, and I think that probably suits the game in England better. The only other place I could see him going outside of the Premier League would be if he got a big money offer to go somewhere like Celtic when they have their uh, revolution with uh, or evolution with their new manager, whoever that's going to be. Links to Jose apparently. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but you know, I th I, th I think. Britain as a whole suits him well, you know. So, I mean, the other one that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about is possibly Leeds, where he, he left mm. Leeds to go to Burnley to play Premier League. Leeds certainly establishing themselves as a Premier League club, that potentially another option. And just on that hat trick too, I mean, Wolves did themselves no favours, particularly the first two goals. It was some pretty horrific defending. But that first finish, when uh, he got round Connor Cody, sent Connor Cody the wrong way, you looked at that angle with Rui Petruccio guarding his near post. Man, that was both power and precision because he only had like this little spot to put it in at the far post and he needed to hit it just hard enough just to drive it through like a nail. And he and he did that. And that is a tough skill to master at the speed he did it at as well. That Not so much the way that he got the chance because of the defending, but the way that he finished the chance to me really stood out as that is top draw. Yeah, it was and amazing. Um, it's a really good point because he's he's against a, a very good goalkeeper to finish like that. And, and that's the thing about Chris is that that goal, uh, not many other strike, any other striker in the Premier League will be proud of that. Um, he's also one of the most uh, two-footed players in the Premier League, two-footed strikers. I think he's probably got a better left foot than some, than some pretty big names. I can think of uh, Marcus Rashford or Mo Salah or Sadio Mane, for example. And then the other thing he's got, I think he's scored just about the most headed goals again this season. So he's so powerful in the air, but he's not just like a Duncan Ferguson in the old days, who that's all he had, or an, or an Andy Carroll. He's so much more than that. So he's he, he really is uh, the full package. And again, it's so wonderful that he's getting that recognition. Yeah, and he's become the sixth Premier League player to rack up 10 or more goals and the each of the last four seasons along some of the likes like Mo Salah, Lacazette, Harry Kane. So I guess my question now is, Ricardo, how far away is Chris Wood, I guess, when you compare him to the likes of the players that I just mentioned, standard-wise, how far off is he, do you think? I think he's quite different from a lot of those players. Like Lacazette is more that fox-in-the-box type player. Salah can, you know, I mean, Salah is, is world-class, gets wide. He's probably closer to Harry Kane. 
Um, and I think, you know, for example, I was talking to somebody the other day. Uh, we were actually talking about who the next Spurs boss could be. And this person said, well, you know, Graham Potter would be great because can you imagine Harry Kane and a Graham Potter team with all the chances they create? And if you think about the chances that Brighton created this season, I think they had 17 in their last game and didn't score, you know, didn't even hit the target. Can you put Chris Wood in that team? How many goals is he scoring this season? I reckon it'd be more than what he's scoring at Burnley. He could be a 20 goals a season striker in a team that creates chances like that. Yeah, he's, he's the thing that stands out for me about Chris and always has is his mental strength. He's just so strong mentally. You know, you see him, you see him miss chances. I remember that game last season, last game of last season or second last game, he misses a couple of really good chances late on and then gets a penalty in the 96th minute. I think it was against Wolves, actually, and, and slots the penalty to equalise 1-1 and, you know, with, under so much pressure. So he's just mentally so tough. He's just got so much uh, self-belief, and you don't see that with, with every player. You don't see that with every player in the Premier League. Good point, Ricardo, too, the fact that he is so good at finishing in the area, and if he was at a club that gives him more chances, then who knows what he could do. So... Uh, he's, he's still, I feel, a little bit underrated. He's not technically, obviously, as gifted as, as a lot of other players, but his his, his lead-up lead player is getting better too. I think he's got three assists in the last four games, so he's developed that side of his game. Um, so because I, he started so late in the Premier League, you just wonder he might he might go on until he's um, 32, 33, which would, which would be great. Yeah, well, I think Sean Dyche actually after that match came out and said that he can get even better. There's there's still a lot of things for him to improve on. And when I read that, I just thought, you know what, that like that's probably true. So it just goes to show that I guess he hasn't really had his full potential. And for his coach to come out and say that, uh, yeah, I guess if you did, if he did make a move to Brighton or a, a team that did give him a lot of chances, we could really see his full potential and he could really blossom at a club like that. Ricardo, I mean. I haven't analysed his game too much, but how much better do you think that Chris Wood can get at Burnley? I think he's pretty much at his peak at Burnley. Uh, I mean, Burnley have got new owners now. They, I think the ownership changed uh, around January, uh, and they have apparently said they are going to invest more. Uh, I don't know what that's going to look like, but obviously, you know, Sean Dyche was at odds with the old owners to, a, to an extent, and he came out publicly a few times and said, look, you know, I've got a name. I can have all the extended bench you want, but it's going to be 16-year-olds because I've got no one and the, the club's not giving me any money. So if this uh, if this new lot of owners give him a decent amount of wedge and he can bring in some more creative players, you know, he can bring in somebody who's a recognised number 10 maybe and maybe another winger to uh, compliment McNeil down the other side, then you could see Burnley take to that next level but I think as Michael mentioned earlier that's a question Chris Wood will have for Sean Dyche and for the board to see what they are going to be doing for next season and weighing up his options if someone else does come in for him. I think as well Chris Wood and, and New Zealand football fans we owe Burnley a great debt of gratitude because they have uh, developed and used Chris Wood perfectly uh, and their style of game suits him so well in terms of his strengths and I remember when he was um, weighing up where to go after he was leaving Leeds and there were a few other clubs interested. I think Swansea was one of them, uh, a couple of others. And a lot of people saying that Swansea would have been a better choice or somewhere else. And Burnley had a lot of strikers already. But Burnley has turned out to be absolutely perfect. And, 
and it was sort of his one big chance. And if it had it gone wrong, then who knows where he'd be. He might be back in the championship. So it's certainly been fantastic that it's worked out so well at, at, at Turf Moor. And he'll always love what the Clarets have, have done for him. So 44 goals for Burnley, one for Leicester. So his total tally is 45 Premier League goals. Do you reckon he's going to eye out that 50 before the end of the season? He's got a few games left to do it. He's got five, isn't he? Oh, I'd have to have a look at the running. I don't know if he's going to get 50 before the end of the season. It'd be great <laughs> if he did. I mean, that yeah. would be Burnley would be tearing it up if that was the case. The thing is, though, he's, um, the pressure's off a bit. Burnley are just about safe now. So when the pressure's off, you can kind of play a bit more. And so he, he may well have a chance. But the other thing is he's up to about, uh, I'll have to double check this, but he's up to about 145, 146 senior goals in England um, at all his different clubs from from Leeds to Leicester to, to West Brom. He scored goals with Millwall, uh, with Brighton. I think he scored goals everywhere, everywhere he's gone. Bristol City, the only place was Ipswich. He didn't get a goal, and he had a bit of a nightmare spell at, at Barnsley in his first loan move. But that's the other thing about him. He was scoring goals uh, back in the championship, which, as we know, guys, is a bloody good level, in 2012. You know, and it just took a long time for him to be recognised or him to break through. But um, his overall record in English football, we've never had anyone like this, you know, Chris Killen or... Um, Harry Nada, or there's no one that's come close, Rory Fallon, to do anything like this. So 10 years, I guess to go back to your earlier question, Narelle, I don't, I can't see him leaving England. He sort of said to me last year that it suits him perfectly, not just the football, but the culture. You know, he just loves, he loves being in England. He loves the scene. He loves following football. He's brought a couple of racehorses now, yeah. like three or four racehorses with his dad. Um, so he is so, I, I, he's so set in England. I, I don't know. I could see him staying there after he finishes playing, actually. Well, hopefully Burnley let him go um, to come represent New Zealand at the Olympics. Fingers crossed. Uh, moving on, though, within the space of about two days, the football world was tipped upside down and then tipped back round again. And, Michael, I know you've been covering the Super League fiasco and the fallout that followed as best as you can. Can you sort of sum up in a few sentences, the gist of what has happened for those who I guess have been under a rock or something the last few weeks. Uh, that's pretty hard, but I'd say a whole lot of um, out of um, a whole lot of rich guys got together and came up with this fantasy idea in what you would describe as probably the worst market research fail in history. Even worse than the I don't know if you remember the when Coke changed its recipe in 985 without telling anyone, and then everyone said, hey, we want the old Coke back, and that was a disaster. This is even bigger than that. You know, this is like a whole lot of rich guys sitting around saying, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll, we'll play uh, Real Madrid, play Arsenal in Mumbai, and everyone will love it. And uh, they, they didn't ask the fans, they didn't ask the broadcasters, didn't ask the players, and didn't talk to their coaches. Um, so their, their so-called revolution died after after three days. It was quite amazing though, wasn't it, that when it all came out on Sunday, I think it was Sunday or Monday morning here, New Zealand time, it all seemed like so real. It seemed, holy shit, this is going to happen. What's going to happen to the Premier League? What's going to happen to the Champions League? And then three days later, it had just burst, um, burst like a balloon. It was all over. But those three days were absolutely fascinating. It just uh, found it incredible. And I love the fact that it basically almost came down to the, the power of the people. 
that's the thing we've seen. You know, we've seen the fans come out. Uh, we saw a, a big group of fans outside of Arsenal. We saw a big group of fans outside of Stamford Bridge. We saw 3,000 outside of Old Trafford the other day um, ahead of the Leeds game. And United weren't even at home. They just went there and protested on on, on match day, you know. So the, the people have spoken, the fans have spoken. And I think you're right. There's been a whole lot of owners and chairmen that have completely misread the room. And I, I think they thought they'd get away with this. I think they thought there'd be some backlash, but not to the extent that, that we've seen. And it's been really good to see. Uh, and it's been really good to see the support from uh, you know, former players. You know, the things that Gary Neville's come out and said and Jamie Carragher's come out and said. And a lot of those guys, you know, condemning their old clubs as well and really holding them to account. And then some of the players too, you know. I mean, uh, I know Jurgen Klopp had a few things to say. James Milner had a few things to say. I think Bruno Fernandes was tweeting about it, um, saying, you know, you can't buy this. Leeds you know the earn it t-shirts that they put in the liverpool dressing room before that game to make their point i thought that was all really good and it was football which can be so divisive and so divided actually coming together you know and liverpool fans and united fans and chelsea fans all actually having a common enemy which was effectively foreign owners trying to turn the uh european football into the nfl yeah i guess for once uh all of the fans around the footballing world could agree on one thing. And as much as I've been trying to see the positives from this, like I get it, you know, the best clubs in Europe want to form their own breakaway league instead of the Champions League. And I'm guilty for this too. When the Champions League is on, I'll look at the fixtures. And if it's Real Madrid playing a random team from Russia who I've never heard of, I'm like, oh, well, I'm not going to watch that. But if it's like Real Madrid-Liverpool, I know that's going to be a good game regardless of the form that they've been in in their current leagues. So from that perspective, I can see it and I can see the attractiveness of it. And also a lot of these clubs suffered big time during COVID financial hits, as did all of us really. But Barcelona, I think, are in 1 billion euros debt at least. And I think this was a step to help them get out of that. But just the disconnect between the owners and the clubs, that's what really got me worried. And it's almost like they've... It's, it hasn't, it's not going away, basically. I feel like they've sort of put themselves in the spotlight that didn't need to be there. And I think as we've talked about the power of the fans and the people, the players, the coaches now, I just feel like this, this may be the turning point of some of those owners selling up and finding business elsewhere. Because English football, as we all know, it was the local business owner owning the team or fans you know, potentially owning the team, like in the NFL, I think it's the Green Bay Packers, that's the only like publicly owned team. And it was it was heading towards a very Americanized league, that Super League, wasn't it, Michael? It was. It's a very good point, Narelle. The the thing you, we can't forget is there were some valid reasons as to why they came up with this crazy plan. As you say, there's some clubs and some real dire strokes. I don't think they really thought it through, but you do wonder how serious they were, you know, um, or if they were just flying the kite to see the reaction, because I don't know if you guys looked at the the website, but it was something that a 20 year old kid at Auckland university could have done a better job of. It was a really, you know, ru- it was a really rubbish. Website. And this is for the, this is for the supposed, you know, biggest new league in the world. There was a website, there was a press release, uh, but they hadn't talked to any TV companies. They'd, they'd got JP Morgan on board. But so I don't know how much of this was if they actually thought it was all going to work or if they were kind of testing the water and they're going to try something a bit different in a, 
in a few seasons. Um, you really don't know what the answer is because the other you make a good point. I think global fans, like the average fan in India, probably follows star players more than clubs. So they, 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 they'd be happy to see uh, Real Madrid playing Liverpool four, to, four or five times a year whereas people who follow clubs would hate that. And the other thing is it's kind of, it's like the old sugar high, you know, you, you look forward to the big game, but if it's the big game every month, suddenly it's, it's, it's not mm. appealing. Um, so they've really got to get that balance. Like I'm not that excited about this expanded champions league at all, but um, they had to do something. So yeah, who knows what these owners are going to do in the future. Yeah, my my favourite uh, piece of actual social media activity I saw during this time was I can't remember the guy's name. I would love to credit him, but he said Spurs being invited into a European Super League is like Banana Man being invited into the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit cheeky having Spurs and um, clubs like Inter Milan um, who haven't done it much for you know decades really in in the Super League as well. Yeah, it was a bit. Uh, Bit cheeky with some of the club the clubs left out. Yeah, there was yeah. a it was this, a, a list that somebody had done. Noel Barclay sent it to me, and it was just like you know, Inter Milan haven't won Serie A title in twenty years or whatever it was. United haven't won a title in eight years. Um, you know, there was just all these clubs that were in it that actually hadn't won anything for so long, and they're like, "Well, how is this a Super League? How does this work? It's it's nothing to do with football. It's everything to do with money." Yeah, the rich get richer, I suppose. And another thing that I guess I was quite shocked about was that this whole Super League fiasco actually sent shockwaves all the way to New Zealand. I think it was the lead sports story for like three or four nights that week. And I had people coming up to me talking about it that had never spoken to me before about football and the fact that they had like had knew about it and it was conversations taking place in their workplaces. It just sort of, yeah, really, really threw me. And also, I guess, the power of, the leagues and the organisations around the world for the Premier League basically to come out and say, well, if you're going to do that, you're not playing in the Premier League. And even FIFA potentially saying, well, if you're going to play in that and you can't play for FIFA tournaments, which I guess means you can't represent your country. And there were plans for a women's league after the Super League started. And obviously we've got Kiwi football ferns playing in some of those big teams that would have been included. And with the 2023 Women's World Cup around the corner, there was just all these permutations, I guess, that, you sort of expected the worst case scenario, but I'm glad that I guess yeah, the football fans spoke up and they came to their senses eventually. But it also begs to differ the, the race for the top four and the Premier League, which is obviously going down to the wire now. It means teams like West Ham, who are in and amongst it, potentially wouldn't get a chance at that. And I guess that kind of segues into our next talk, talking point quite nicely is yeah, there are only five rounds of the Premier League left. And West Ham is one of those clubs who were looking like a top four chance, but on paper now they don't have the easiest run and two back-to-back red cards in the last two games, Michael, they're really making it hard for themselves. They are. I've always been worried about their depth. I think they're overachieved. I think they've overachieved to be where they are. Um, they've had a fantastic season. Like West Ham fans, uh, wherever they are in New Zealand and England, anywhere in the world, they'll be buzzing about this. Um, and I, I even wonder if diehard Hammers fans will actually believe they can they can make Champions League. It might be a step too far and it might be a bit like um, we saw with Leicester or Blackburn in the Champions League where actually they, they really struggle at that level. So um, I think West Ham will fall down to about fifth or sixth, but that will still represent a, a wonderful season. 
Yeah, the uh, on the on the back to back red cards, it was good to see that they uh, the red card from the Chelsea game got overturned. So um, I know there was a bit of talk about that about what do defenders do now? You know, you can't hold people, and now you're not allowed to kick the ball either. You get sent off for that too. Um, so. Yeah, it was good that that's happened for them. It'll be interesting to see what happens because this weekend there's a couple of big games coming up. I think Chelsea play City this weekend. Um, so if they don't win that and Liverpool don't beat Manchester United then and West Ham pick up three points, then they're back in the driving seat again with four rounds to go. So it's certainly not over yet and there are some, some big games to come. Yeah, I was talking to my friend who supports West Ham. So obviously it'll be the first time that they've qualified for the Champions League and I sort of said, if you qualify, and he corrected me to say when we qualify. But yeah, one of his big things was the depth. And of course, it, it'll take a toll on their Premier League efforts for next season. But also you've got Leicester, who are third at the moment. And they've got to play United, Chelsea, Tottenham, and the FA Cup final against Chelsea again. So out of the top four at the moment. So City, that's fine. United, I think, will stay in second. But Leicester, I think, will potentially drop out. Probably not out, Here we go. Loving this. Yeah, I've actually I've done my research and I've looked at all the all the teams that these top four sides have to play, and I I must say Leicester do have one of the toughest runs in my opinion, as do Chelsea. You know, it's still in the Champions League. They've yeah got City, Arsenal, Leicester, and the FA Cup final. So I think that's the perfect opportunity for Liverpool to just get back in there. I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it goes to show how important three points against Crystal Palace was for Leicester because that's really given them that buffer now. I'm not looking at a league table, but from memory, I think what they're about nine points ahead of fifth place now after that win. So they kind of, they maybe aren't under so much pressure at the moment. You know, the pressure is on Chelsea. It's probably not on West Ham so much because they didn't expect to be there, but it's on the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's to put together a run now and, and, and try and push for that fourth spot. Um, and, as we've seen, I know I don't I don't want to um, dampen your fire there, Narell, but Liverpool haven't exactly been in the best form, and I mean they were lucky to get a point at home against Newcastle. Really, Newcastle probably deserved to win that game. Oh, settle down, settle down. Here we go. But on on Leicester, it's a good point. They've, I think they've got they've got United, uh, they've got Chelsea in the run in. They've got a tough run in. They're eight points clear of Liverpool. Um, but in the words of Luke Skywalker, I think Narelle, there is still hope um, for Liverpool, <laughs> maybe. But Leicester, I, I can't see Chelsea falling down. I think they're playing too, too well to fall down. So Leicester will be the team that falls away a bit like last year, if it's going to happen. But I love the way they're playing. Uh, I love what Inacio is doing alongside Vardy. Um, he didn't score his first Premier League goal this season until February. And no one scored more Premier League goals since then. Um, so he's got 10 goals since February. Uh, it's, he's an amazing story. He's just sort of just sort of come to prominence this year in terms of breaking through breaking through that barrier of, of believing in himself. I remember talking to him at the 2015 Under-20 World Cup. Remember when we were told about future stars? He came down here to play for Nigeria. Uh, they played in New Plymouth. I was talking to him in the rain after a game, you know, huddled, in, huddled under the shelter. And he was telling me about his dreams with Manchester City at that stage. But it's great to see that he's gone from there uh, to doing what he's doing with Leicester City. 
So if I asked you, I guess, for your predictions, Michael, of how you see the top four finishing up, what would you tell me? I'm going to actually write this down, though, so we can remember for the next one. Predictions. Okay. Um, well, Liverpool, it, it all hinges on this weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. If Liverpool can, can, can win at Old Trafford, uh, then it's back on because they have four very winnable games, although mm-hmm. with Liverpool these days, no, no game seems to be, you can't say they're winnable anymore, but they've got something like... Burnley, West Brom, uh, Crystal Palace, and Southampton, I think, from memory. So mm-hmm. if they can win at Old Trafford, then it's all on. But if they don't win at Old Trafford or they lose, uh, then it's all over for Liverpool. That's it? Wow. I think so. And it's a, it's a very tough ask, the way United are going well. So I could see the top four, unfortunately, staying as they are right now. It is. So City, United, uh, Leicester, and Chelsea. But if a team is going to... Um, get in and take one of those spots, then it will be Liverpool. But I, I unfortunately, as much as it hurts me, I, I can't see it. I, I think you're pretty close. Um, I would say, probably as as stands. Um, I, th- I think I don't. I don't think Leicester are going to drop out. I think they've got too much of a buffer now. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Chelsea do on that running, and you know West Ham's running maybe isn't as difficult as Chelsea. So I wouldn't write West Ham off just yet either. Um, and, you know, the other thing, Michael, i just bring you up on, Luke Skywalker was one of the good guys. So he would have, he, you know, if the cop, the cop, that's like that's like the Death Star, mate, the cop. So oh, he wouldn't have been saying that, yeah. Should have been Darth Vader, yeah, sorry. Um, but the other thing, Narelle, Ricardo, we're forgetting Spurs. Could there be a miraculous late run from Spurs? No. Absolutely uh, not. <laughs> but um, on that subject of Spurs, I just, just to bring up, it's such a shame, I think, for Spurs and Spurs fans. I feel so sorry for them because, to me, they've had this guy called Harry Kane, uh, the, an absolute once-in-a-generation player. He scored more than 200 goals for Spurs, you know, and they haven't won a single trophy with him. If I think of someone like Terry Henry for Arsenal, who was the equivalent, uh, when Henry was at Arsenal, they won so many trophies, and then when he left, they haven't really done anything since. And I think it'll be the same with Spurs. Kane will leave, whether it's this year or next year, and they won't have anyone like him for years. And they'll look back and say, gee, we had one of the best strikers in history and he scored more than 200 goals and we got we got nothing from it. So it's been, they'll look back, it's been such a, a mismanaged club for so long in terms of the owners as well as the coaches. And it's such, it's such a shame that Kane hasn't got anything like he deserved. It really is. They got history there, didn't they? Do the same with Gary Lineker. I mean, they had Lineker for a while before he he took off to Barcelona because he wanted to win things and he couldn't win anything with Spurs. You know, it's there's history there with Spurs. Well, I guess Harry Kane's quite loyal, isn't he? I guess the only sort of comparison I I'm thinking of. I know Stephen Gerrard won a lot with Liverpool, right? But he never won the Premier League, and I guess it's it's sort of similar to what Harry Kane's going through, but on another level. Is that I guess he wants to stay loyal to the club and wants to hang in there and hope it'll change but I guess yeah with Mourinho being sacked and still unclear if that was around the Super League fiasco or I mean it's probably a long time coming but the way he lived did you see him with all the media outside of his house he was filming them and just it was a nice it was a nice way to go I think I I really enjoyed that the last bit of entertainment we'll get from him in the Premier League for who knows how long well there was a story that came out and I'm sure that it was leaked by Mourinho's people 
um, of, of a way for him to go out on a shield. That The reason that he got sacked was because he refused to take the team training that day in protest at Tottenham signing up for Super League. Um, oh. And I, I'm, I'm like, I, I looked at that and I went, what a Mourinho move, you know, yes. be the hero of the people. You'll forget what a terrible manager I've been. I'll be carried out on my shield, the ultimate sacrifice. I'm doing this for football. You would have kept him to the end of the year, though, wouldn't you? Even though he hasn't been great and there's been some problems, but they were having their moments. I mean, I kind of agreed with him in a way when he came out with that quote. What did he say? Someone asked him, you know, what's what's been going wrong, Jose? You know, you did so well with all these other clubs um, like uh, Chelsea and Inter Milan and Real Madrid. And he said, well, you know, same manager, different players. And everyone laughed at him, but the Spurs defensively have been awful. You know, and the players they've got just aren't quite good enough. And he doesn't have a John Terry. You know, he doesn't have a Ricardo Cavallio. He's got guys that just aren't quite the same. So he he's, he also hasn't done as best as he could. But um, there's certainly part of it that you do wonder why 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 change now? Just just let the rest of the season play out. Mm, and, yeah, and yeah. slightly better. Yeah, well, to be fair of- though. No, I was just about to say that news when he did get sacked, I thought it was a joke because obviously Twitter was going crazy with the Super League. So I guess in a way it almost got lost. Like it wasn't – we just did a, a quick update on, on the news about it. Like the lead story was the Super League. Now, oh, by the way, Mourinho has been sacked. So maybe that's the thinking behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you're Daniel Levy too and you're going, we want to get rid of him, can you imagine how insufferable he'll be if he actually wins us a trophy? I bet it. I bet it a second before he's yeah. got the opportunity, because otherwise it's going to be too difficult at the end of the season. Oh, oh very good, Ricardo. I like it. That's great. That is actually yeah. that's the kind of logic you'd think. The first trophy since two thousand eight. Then he'd be unsackable. We want him to go. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We are going to miss his antics, though, aren't we? And I guess you know we talk about the race for the top four, which is very exciting, and usually so too is the fight for survival. But looking at the ladder, it looks pretty bleak. I think there's a seven point gap between. Brighton and the relegation zone. Sheffield United, they've already, they're already gone. West Brom look to follow and Fulham, I think those three will probably be set. So not as entertaining as what we usually see at this time of the season in the Premier League, is it? It normally goes right down to the wire. And I know we were looking forward to that game, um, Newcastle playing Fulham on the last day of the season at Craven Cottage and thinking, mate, that could be the decider. Um, it has changed a bit. Uh, Newcastle have done, I still think they're a pretty average team, but they've done better than expected. Fulham have played some wonderful football. I've, the way they played against Liverpool, some other big games, they've played really well, but they just had, they just had such a so s- slow start and they're just not consistent enough. And West Brom, they've kind of fought back well under Allardyce, but, but we're a long way back. So mm. hard to see. I agree with you, Narelle. It's hard to see Brighton or Southampton if we assume that Burnley's safe, which I think they are, it's hard to see Brighton or Southampton. Um, Southampton have been wobbling a bit lately, but it's hard to see them slipping down into the into the mire of that fight uh, because I think those two clubs are just both a bit a bit too good. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Fulham have just been in those situations so many times. I mean, last weekend, one nil up against Arsenal, and concede an equaliser in the ninety seventh minute. I mean, you know, it's when that stuff's happening, you know, it's not your season, and I. It's not really even so much about how many points Southampton have got. It's about how many points those teams are going to get between now and the end of the season of five games. I don't think they're going to get enough, even if Southampton and Brighton don't pick up any more points. They just don't seem to be able to to do that. And, 
credit to Steve Bruce too, because I thought Newcastle, I think last time we did this, I said either, yeah. they're, they're done, right? But he's managed to get a tune out of Joel Linton, who's been off form all season. He's had his injured players come back, um, you know, particularly Sam Maxima uh, and Callum Wilson, and they have really uh, worked a treat for him. So, you know, you've got to give props to Steve Bruce. It'll be interesting to see if he survives the summer and is there next season, but there's some good Premier League managers kicking around or potential managers kicking around because I'd like to see Scott Parker given a shot somewhere else if Fulham do go down. Yeah, well, I guess only five weeks left of waking up at crazy times in the morning and it's been super exciting. And, gents, thank you so much for your company on the show and thank you to everyone listening wherever you are in the world. It's been a pleasure and enjoy the last few weeks of what's been a Premier League season like no other.